It is good to be back. I want to thank uh, Chris for his message a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Doug for getting uh, late notice that he was preaching again. Um, so filling in last week, we worshipped with you online. It was well into the afternoon for us, but it was good to good to see familiar faces. Uh, one other thing I want to say before we get started in the message today, and that is that um, if you have not met Doug and Diane McClintock, Doug is a, an RCA pastor and a missionary. He's actually heading up a missionary movement in Europe. Um, We've been planting churches. Uh, this church and four others were, or three others were on kind of in the embryonic stage of helping the Hungarians start new churches. They hadn't started new churches since the Soviet era. And they've been doing an unbelievable job. And it was really good to, to catch up with some of them and hear their stories. Doug was kind of the brainchild of that, Doug McClintock. <clears throat> and they have moved to Debrecen, Hungary. And uh, they actually have started a European new church planting movement. We met, we met uh, church planters from all around Europe and Bahrain. Uh, so, but Doug and Diane are doing a great job, and they're, they're networking with people really, really well. But they, 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 they signed up to have Lynn and I in their little 900-square-foot apartment for two nights, and they had us for 10 and they gave up their master bedroom for us. So they, they slept on the floor in their study. I've never experienced hospitality like that in my life. They were, they're amazing people. And I would ask that as you, as you continue to pray for Lynn and I for the rest of this, the, all the hanging on stuff of the COVID thing goes away, that you pray thanksgiving and blessing on Doug and Diane McClintock. They are amazing people. They did it. In a, they, yeah. I, we learned what hospitality is by how they treated us. Now, it was the same day for 10 days in a row. Groundhog Day, um, but it couldn't have been with better people. So I'll leave it at that. There's, uh, there's really no other stories to tell because we had five days with everybody, and then we had 10 days, just the four of us in a tiny little apartment and couldn't go anywhere. Um, and then uh, Lynn finally got well enough to come home because it's her fault that we got stuck. We... <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about worship, and that is something that's that most of us, we look at and we go, that's easy. Every, every Christian knows about that. And we do. But there's some things maybe that we should consider because worship, we, we think of worship as changing us, but it changes more than us. And I want to talk about that a little bit today with you through the scripture. So would you join me in prayer? And then I'm going to read a quote from a former Archbishop of Canterbury, and then we, we, will, we will get rolling. Let's pray. Lord, Personally, thank you that Lynn and I were able to make it back, canceled flights and all. <clears throat> For me, during this message, I just ask that you keep any residual coughing fits at bay um, so that I can get through the three sermons today without being a distraction to your people. And Lord, for the things that you want us to hear today, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive there's a command from very early on in human history for us to worship the Lord our God and to have no other gods before you. Help me, help, help us, Lord, hear your word for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, let me see what his name is. William Temple is one of the archbishops of Canterbury way back when, and this is how he defines worship. Now, there are several biblical words for worship, but this is how he talks about it. And, and then I'm going to, you'll, you'll see. He says, he defines worship as, a, as, a quickening, as something that quickens the con conscience by the holiness of God, 
feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart, opening the heart to the love of God, and devoting the will to the purpose of God. So a lot of times we think worship is a gathered service um, where, where the scattered church gathers together, and we sing songs like, and can it be, and by the way, I know Chris always jokes about it, the first song is always his favorite, or he'll, but that is my favorite hymn of all time, because why would God think anything of me? Who am I that God would be mindful of me? And that's the case for all of us. So a lot of times we think of worship as singing, hearing the word proclaimed, but according to, to William Temple, it, it's quickening the conscience with the holiness of God. It's feeding the mind with the truth of God. It's purging the imagination by the beauty of God and opening the heart to the love of God and devoting the will to the purpose of God. Worship is everything. It's, it's discipleship. It's evangelism. It's, it's, it's just knowing God. It's being known by God. And all of us tend to worship or we're wired in different ways to, to connect with God. I, I struggled as a young adult. Um, I'm not, you guys know this, I'm a little weird. I'm a lot weird. I know that. My brain doesn't work like everybody else. And, and, and I get, I'm kind of high, I don't, have you noticed I'm high strung? I, I talk too fast. I never talk faster than I can think. Um, but, but the way people write discipleship books, it's, it's, it, they write them for Lynn. They don't write them for me. They, Lynn will spend an hour or more every morning in devotion to God. I don't know my own name till about 10 o'clock. Um, the, the, and there was this book back in the early 90s called um, Coloring Outside the Lines. And this guy gave permission for people like me to find how God has, and I don't really want to be mechanical here, but how God has wired me, how God relates to me. And I know I started finding this out when Lynn and I were, were, were uh, engaged and I, I had a day a retreat of just solitude. And I walked, I was walking around this lake outside of Chicago, Illinois, and, and I'm trying to pray, but I'm trying to pray like everybody else prays. I'm trying to pray like, like when you hear an elderly churchman gather people together to pray and just the beautiful words and the cadence. And it's just, it's just worshipful to hear someone pray like that. And, and my brain doesn't work that way. So I finally said... Forget it, Lord. I'm going to talk to you like my best buddy, Gary. And I walked around that lake a couple of times just talking to God like I'm talking to you. Just talking. And it was freeing. And this book helped me realize that God, God is going to relate to me the way God made me to be related to. And you've, if you've had children, you know that some, some receive correction differently than others. My daughter she would look me right in the eye when she needed a talking to, and she would pay really attention. She got, she got real smart real quick and kept her mouth shut. Cam was ADD, and so he had to, have, I had to put Legos in front of him, and he would be putting Legos together. He would remember everything we talked about, but if I made him concentrate, look me in the eye and show me some respect, young man, um, he wouldn't remember anything. He was just trying so hard not to get in trouble more for, for not paying attention. So each kid is wired differently, each person is wired differently, and the God of the universe made you different than everybody else. And he wants you to worship him with others, but also to worship him the way he designed you to worship him. So Lynn, it's music and beauty. Me, I worship with ideas. Something that, some, some, some new idea that comes up that just, that's the, my, my, uh, 
My mind is changed by the truth of God. When I hear a lyric in a song that, 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 that what someone can say in a lyric will take me 30 minutes in a sermon to maybe get close to it, but they can say it in a line, and it just grabs me and changes who I am and how I see God. And another thing that just that I was reminded of last week when I was sitting talking to Doug, Doug McClintock out on his terrace off, off of his little apartment, um, and what blows me away is that I am God's idea. And so are you. And the only reason you exist is because God is thinking about you right now. That, doesn't that, see, to me, I'm like, what? And to others, like, what, whatever, but that song was beautiful. Or look at the, li- listen to the birds chirping. And, and we have a little, we have a duck that has 13 eggs in our flower bed. And, and normally I wouldn't like that, but my granddaughter's coming home and she's going to love the little ducklings. And so I'm like, I'm not going to mow near that little duck. So some people are, are moved by, by nature. Other people are moved by solitude. Other people are moved by prayer. And, but when it comes right down to it, according to William Temple, Worship changes everything. Have you ever heard of Samuel Clemens? It's, the, it's the, his actual name. Now I can't remember Tom Sawyer. He wrote Tom Sawyer. What's his? Mark Twain. Thank you. He used to say of Christians, he, would add, he, was, a, he was prophetic because he, 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 he criticized the church pretty well. And in some ways it was deserved. But he would ask Christians what they want to do. You know, what they, where do you want to go when you die? I want to go to heaven. What are you going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to praise the Lord and worship the Lord 24-7 for eternity. And he's like, why do you want to go do for eternity what you hate doing when you're here? He's got a point. So let's look at a picture in Revelation of what worship looks like. The first one's a little strange because we hear about all these creatures that are in the throne room of God. And there are those that will argue that this is just John on some hallucinogen and he gets this weird vision. And I would argue in return that if God is the creator of everything and he created every mind and every synapse, that he can use our minds to create visions that is just poorly and perverted substituted by, with hallucinogenic drugs. So God can use everything he made in creation. If he can calm water with a whisper, if he can walk on water that should, you should sink down through, he can certainly give a vision to someone like John to give a picture. And John does not have the words to express what's going on, what he's seeing. But there's some, there's some key things in this passage, one of which is what the elders do. And that's something we should all consider. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were, they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox. The third had, the fa- had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who's live, or who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. 
And by your will, they were created and have their being. They lay their crowns down. Even in heaven, when they own nothing, they have nothing. They, they, they have what they, what they have is, is whatever God has allowed them to have, whatever glory or majesty they have as their reward from, from living. If these elders used to be men, don't know if they're angelic specifically, but it sounds like they're elders. They represent humanity. And what do they do every time? So this is always going on when the creatures are giving glory and honor to God. What do they do? They take off what their worth is, everything they worked for, and they place it before the Lord. And then they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. How are we doing in worship? Are we laying down our stuff? Are we putting before God our accomplishments? Are we saying to the Lord, I am nothing, and thank you for that? That sounds like a terrible worm theology kind of thing. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm a worm. I'm nothing. You know what you are? You're God's idea. God spoke you into existence. God continues to speak you into existence. You would not exist if God shut up about you. If God stopped thinking of you, you would cease. And it might be that you never were. The God of the universe who actually created all things is mindful of you. And he says to us, what changes everything is if you recognize that you are not your own, but you belong body and soul in life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And man, we can get caught up in stuff. I've been trying really hard to remember the, the, the author of this book. I believe the book was called The Chosen. Could be wrong because I could be getting it caught up with the whole, the whole web series that's going on right now. But it was in a historical fiction. And there's this woman in it that, whose husband was a good man. Until once a year where they had to go to the big city. And this is, you know, like 2000 BC. So the big city. But they would go to the big city and they had this festival where they have to worship their gods. And men went to this temple and there at the temple were temple prostitutes. And she saw her husband, a good man, become something he was not during this week-long festival. Unable to really see her and who she was and what, and what she needed. But he was transformed by his lusts his desires, his wanting something more. And as this woman watched her husband become someone he was not, someone said to her, I bet you wish you married a better man. And she said, I wish he had better gods. Because you become like what you worship. So what is it that we worship? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you all the things I think that are idols in our lives. One of them is religion instead of faith. But you probably know the thing that the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder and going, you know what that? That's a lesser God. It's something that isn't of your primary concern. It's not me. And if you take all of us together collectively, 
we form around the world the church, the visible and the invisible church. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ, whether they're gathered together or they're in secret in China. And we are charged with being the agent that God uses to change the world. How are we going to do that? Worship? Yeah. See, the church at its best, in my opinion, is like a, like a, like a boat or a ship on the sea. A boat or a ship that's not on a body of water is just a building that doesn't sit right on land. But you put it on the water and it counters the water. See, it displaces water and water creates buoyancy for it to float. That is good. A ship can travel the waters to go to new places. But it, if, if the church is like the ship, we're countercultural. It doesn't mean we're against the culture. It means we're for it. It is good for the boat to be on the water. It is not good for the water to fill the boat. Because everybody drowns. And the boat is no longer a boat. It's just a wreckage. So God has called his people to be a boat in the world sailing around. But here's what we forget sometimes, in my opinion. We forget that our job isn't just to remain dry and be on the boat and let the bottom of the boat, the hull of the boat get a little wet. And when it's stormy, to get a little on the, on the, on the, uh, up on the deck and we got to scrub it off. We forget what the mission of the boat is. The mission of the boat, there are people out in the ocean, out swimming around, being tossed and turned by every whim and will of the culture, by every wave, and they're drowning. And our job as worshipers of God is to be on the ship with our binoculars, looking out, looking to see someone we can save, someone who we can throw a life preserver to, pull them in and bring them on and show them that it's better on the boat. And when we start off as Christians, that boat is a life raft. And then over time, it turns into a little bow cruiser. And then over time, as more and more people get on it and we become more and more attuned to who God is and what he's called us to be and we worship God all the more, that boat gets stronger, it gets bigger, and, and, and it gets more stable. It is capable of becoming like a Coast Guard cutter that is just out to do nothing but to rescue other dying, drowning souls. And it is worship of the Most High God that helps us know where we're supposed to go. Romans chapter 12 says it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This, offering yourself completely to God, is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't be the, don't be the body of water. Be the ship that's on the body of water. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, not the removing, the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, what does worship change? It changes me. Because I become more like that which I worship. 
It changes my mind. And it gives me the ability to discern what God's will is. We see something like it in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 20 through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Does it seem like the day is approaching? So as tensions rise, as the storms of the sea, of the world, the culture start to, to churn up, what is God's call to us? Be countercultural for the culture, but not of the culture. To be in the boat together doing what God has called us to do, being who God has called us to be. And how do we become who God has called us to be? Worship. Thinking. Good things. Appreciating the beauty of all that God has made. Knowing that God is mindful of us. You don't think that changes how people see the church? Because right now, people think the church are a bunch of judgmental, angry, hypocritical people who just want to hate people who think differently than they do. Is that what the church is? No. You ever walked into someone's home and you just knew they were followers of Jesus? Not because they had something stenciled up on their, up on their wall, but because something in the house was different. You could feel it. You could sense it. You just knew. There are people that I watch on YouTube that I'm like, they never say it, but I'm like, that guy's a believer. Why? Because he thinks clearly. He appreciates beauty. He appreciates truth. And he's kind. See, I know worship, we should be talking about the word proskuneo, to lean forward in order to kiss that comes from the description of a dog licking its master's hand just for the pleasure of it, that, that, we, that, that we should look like in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. But it, it says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer, not sacrifice. It's, it's, it's you get to, not you have to. We should be talking in, in part about how, how just saying to the Lord, you're God and I'm not, changes us. But we all know that part of worship. What we don't know is that God, what we don't always think about is that God wants us, whatever is good and noble or excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. God wants to renew our minds so that we are more in tune with him, so that we know what his will is, and we can effectively represent him on the stormy seas. And we'll be not only a boat or a ship or a Coast Guard cutter, but there will be spotlights and halos, and halogen, and LED. It will just be, you could, for miles around, you could be able to look at it and go, there's, there's safety there. Pastor Doug said months ago that the church is not supposed to make the world a better place. The church is supposed to be the better place. And what makes us the better place? What makes us the boat and not the turmoil churning sea? Worship. 
recognizing that God does not change. And if God does not change, and he says you're mine, you can't stop being his. Does that not change something inside of you? Let me read another passage from, from John chapter 4. The, the projection people are freaked out right now because I just completely changed the order of reading these passages. So if they're not up there, you're familiar. This is when Jesus in John 3 um, he was elsewhere, and he had to, it says he had to go to, through, up to Samaria. Jews don't go to Samaria on purpose. You don't ever have to go to Samaria. But he had a Father God-appointed event, a meeting with this woman at the well. The town, I won't use the word, she had lots of husbands. And she didn't come to the well at the time of day that all the other women did because she was the reason that they all talked and they were all afraid that she would be around their husbands. So she came in the middle of the day and Jesus knew she was going to be there and he showed up and they have this conversation and she's talking about, you know, one day the Messiah will come and we'll worship, we'll figure it all out. And Jesus says this to her, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship that which you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind, listen to this, we read right past this, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. God seeks worshipers. God seeks those who worship him. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman who worships that which she does not know. That is the sea with all the people bobbing around in it and drowning. They're trying to survive. They're trying to thrive. They're trying to find their purpose. And they're lost at sea. We worship who we do know and he doesn't change and his heart is for not only us but for us to look for others who we can rescue with kindness with gentleness with forgiveness with grace with mercy with hope because our world has no hope and we do and it is worship in mind, in body, in spirit, gathered and scattered. It is worship that reminds us of hope. Worship doesn't just change you. Worship changes the world. And there would be people that argue that this boat that is the church on the sea and it's not good for the sea to fill the boat because it will become wreckage and drown everyone on board that we should keep all things that belong to the water out of the boat and be this little shining thing over here that no one wants to be around and we don't know who they are and they don't know who we are and that's just not the gospel of Jesus Christ 
always on the edge, looking out, trying to find someone who's drowning. That's evangelism. And discipleship is when they get on the boat, help them know why they're there, what it means to be on the boat, and help them start looking for other people that need rescue. If you've ever been on a big ship, I have not. But if you're ever in the Navy, you know that there are lots of jobs to do. And different people have different ways of doing them. But there are certain things that have to happen in order to keep that ship afloat. When you rescue someone, you bring them in and they just go to the hospital and they get better. But over time, they become a valuable member of the crew. Because that is God's will for the church. Worship changes the world. And if we're not worshiping in all ways that we can, we don't know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, being, for getting Lynn and I home. Thank you for the prayers of your people. Thank you that you, you kept my cough at bay during this message. But Lord, most of all, thank you for calling us to worship, seeking out worshipers who will align ourselves to your truth and to your spirit. Lord, give us renewed eyes for the world around us, for the people that are being drowned by the storms. Help us look for ways to call them to safety and then to help them become valuable members of your crew. Join us, Lord. Be blessed as we worship you in song. In Jesus' name, amen.